Okay, ladies and gents, so the world has changed. The mortgage world has changed. Obviously, the mini budget, as we reported last week and the week before, has caused a bit of an impact in the UK economy. But significantly, this is a property channel. We're talking to landlords, property investors. So who better to get on to break down exactly what's going on with the banks, with the lenders, the buy-to-let world, than uh, Akil, CEO of Our Mortgage Broker, um, former guest. So thank you for coming back on, Akil. Appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, um, Team Avocado. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to this conversation because, let's be honest, what the bloody hell is going on at the moment with banks? What's going on with rates? I saw a report come through yesterday that HSBC and Accord had come back into the market and nearly fell off my chair when I saw the rates. Um, I would imagine you're having some interesting conversations with your investors and, and generally just people looking to maybe remortgage next year as well that are a bit worried. So let's just throw that out there onto the shop floor and say, yeah. what the hell's going on? <laughs> well, you know what? If you asked me 12 months ago what's going on, it was a very rosy world. You know, business was booming. Um, there was lots of purchases, lots of remortgaging, lots of capital raising, and it was all hunky-dory. And we all thought that this was going to remain the future forever. Yeah. But as they always say, nothing's forever in any business. Um, what happened was Quasi Quartang, came out with a mini budget. I call it an explosive budget. It's not even Guy Fawkes yet. Yeah. Um, so he came out with this explosive budget um, and caused chaos in the markets, basically. Um, what was inevitable with interest rates growing and increasing was supposed to happen over the next 48, 50, 60 months. But what happened was with his mini budget, aka explosive budget, it happened in 48 hours. Bank of England had to intervene and they had to increase interest rates. There's bond issues, there's pension fund issues and everything else in between. We, as I said, we expected interest rates to go up, but not as quick as they had. The markets have reacted and the stock yeah. market has reacted. So we are where we are, unfortunately. We're at five, six, seven, eight percent interest rates in the fixed rate market. The tracker rates are quite still quite um, attractive, but the problem is clients are fixated on fixed rate mortgages. The headlines are not looking so rosy at the moment. So we're inundated with calls and they're like you guys as well, probably. Yeah, the gamble on the tracker is, although they look appealing, you know, at first glance is what's going to happen with that base rate? Because no one no one truly knows what's going to happen. If you talk to some people, they say 140, some people say two, you know, we just don't know really, do we, what's going to happen with that? And I guess that's where the concern is with the tracker is it's a raw gamble with your, your interest rate. It is a raw gamble, but it depends how entrepreneur you are. So if you put your buy to let hat on, it's un it's understanding where the markets have been. And I always say history repeats itself. So you've got to be conscious of where interest rates have been over the last decade or so. They've been rock bottom. They can't get any lower. How high will they go? Listen, your guess is as good as mine. But we can guesstimate that they're going to remain between 3 and 6% for the foreseeable future. And I think of this decade. So you've got to forecast in how much can you afford to lose and how much can you afford to uh, risk going forward. So... It's horses for courses for many reasons. I think if you've got your hat on with the owner-occupier, you want to be confident of your fixed rate payments for your main residence. Mm -hmm. Depending on the buy-to-let, depending on the loan-to-value, depending on the yield on that property, you might want to take a view on it and maybe look at a tracker rate without any early repayment charges. So a lot of lenders have put in tracker rates with no early repayment charges. So you can take a view over the next 12 months how the UK economy recovers from this explosive budget and our inflationary pressures and then take a view, okay, now is it time to fix? Because a lot of lenders have done um, 
we can put you on a variable rate and it's then we can fix you without any charges going forward. So you've got to take a view on things. And I've said it for many, many years. You know, if you are a, a property entrepreneur, you know, it's time to wise up and it's time to become very professional in this industry. And what I mean by that is you need to have an open and candid conversation with the real estate finance brokerage that you're working with, the estate agencies you're working with, and also the other relevant professional bodies that help scale your property business as well. Like we've all know, we've seen the private rental sector in particular is an easy target for the government for tax reasons, legislation, regulation, interest rates. We've all got to be mindful that we're always good. We're, we are as entrepreneurs and landlords, we're always going to be easy, easy targets. You've got to, you've got to create ways of income um, creating different revenues and increasing your yields in different manners. And what I mean by that is those single dwelling by Tillets may not be the, the, the the right route going forward just simply because the taxes and the regulations on that so you you've now got to think you know you're looking at other buy to let options and increasing the yield and is that hmos is that student accommodation is it service accommodation but you've got to be open and frank with the with your power team to create different um lines of income yeah it's, it's hard with i guess people that have got a single buy to let yeah. you know if someone's got a two-bed flat then They've got to lock in on on what their intentions were. And that might mean that if their end goal was that is a simple pension pot for them, then yeah. how do they almost manage the next three years? Because a lot of people have gone for the interest only mortgage, you know, over the last couple of years. And as a result, they've got some crazy £350 a month mortgage and some £1250, £1500 a month rent. And they're kind of thinking, well, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But actually maybe over the next kind of three years if especially two years or 18 months if someone's got a fixed term for another let's say 20 months they might want to think about how do they manage that loan how do they get that loan down how do they start overpaying and mm -hmm. looking at those element of things is that is that the best way to suit their goal is it repayment rather than interest only yeah is it better actually to say well no it's this is working for me on this particular one and i've got 800 pounds a month you know spare cash coming in what can I use that 800 pounds a month for mm -hmm. to actually grow my portfolio of investments? And yeah. it does that mean investing in stocks and shares while the markets are down or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah. I guess that's where individually everyone's got a unique scenario. And that's that's where we talk to people, isn't it, Mike, is everyone's got their own circumstances. But probably the carpets have been pulled a little bit from under them if they purchased in the last couple of years with, you know, that kind of end goal, I guess. Yeah, I think we've got to just adjust to what a new normal is. And you said a lot of people hold a buy-to-let as a pension plan. If you directly compare a buy-to-let property to a pension plan, I pay into my pension on a monthly basis. I guarantee you I paid into my pension last month and the month before, and the value of that pension has gone down. There's no doubt about it because the stock market's gone down. Mm -hmm. So my the value of my pension has dropped. Now, a buy-to-let investor is used to not paying into their buy-to-let property, taking money on a monthly basis and seeing the value go up. So if we flip that absolutely on its back and say your buy-to-let property for the next two years, you might have to pay into it to maintain it 
So because your mortgage has gone from one and a half percent to five and a half percent, your rent is a thousand and your mortgage is now twelve hundred pounds. So you're paying two hundred pounds a month into your buy to let. A lot of landlords turn and say, Well, that's unacceptable to me. Well, you're paying two hundred pounds a month into your pension, aren't you? Well, is that acceptable to you? It always has been. It's just because that's the accepted norm. Well, the accepted norm in buy to let's going to change now as well, and people are just going to have to take it. Yeah, and I guess you know if you're looking at that twelve hundred pounds mortgage payment with the interest rates as they sit, you're still paying, or the tenant I should say is still paying more than two hundred pounds a month off the mortgage, off off the loan, off the on, capital, on, on yeah. that scenario. So you're almost it's two hundred pounds that you're putting in in theory, but maybe you're paying six hundred pounds a month off. So actually. £400 is being paid off by the tenant. You're still winning. It's still a better asset than the home that you live in. But it's difficult for people to take, isn't it? And what sort of conversations are you having with clients at the moment? Are you saying sort of take a break, let the land settle, see where we're at? Are you saying be shrewd? Are you, what, what are you saying? Um, I think the key thing here is um, don't panic. You know, there's a lot of a knee-jerk reaction. And when 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 headlines hit the news, we're far too late in making any changes in our own mindsets because the tide's already come in. But what we need to do is, as entrepreneurs and as homeowners, you need to understand where the markets are going. And I've always said, look at the 10-year US swap rates and understand where they where they are fixating the prices going forward, because that dictates what the interest rates are doing in the UK market as well as all around the world. Conversations we're having at the moment is very simple. You know, um, if you're tied into a fixed rate mortgage for the next one, two, three, five years, Nothing changes because your payments remain the same until your fixed rate mortgage comes up. So there's no panic, mm -hmm. but you should panic as well. Don't just take your foot off the pedal. You should keep one eye on the market because you are a professional and you are an investor in the UK housing market. So what do you need to do? The key here is not to panic. Second of all is have a conversation with your finance broker to understand what are the repercussions in today's world and what are the potential repercussions of tomorrow as well. Now, I don't believe we're going to see Bank of England base rate going to be at 0.1 for any time very soon. I think they're going to remain between 2 and 3% during the next 10, um, 10 years or so, which means that the fixed rates are going to be between 4 and 6% um, for the next decade or so. So if you put that, in, put that formula and that calculation into your investment calculator and use your investment hat, you've got to be mindful of this is the payments I'm going to be making to the bank. This is the payments that I need to um, ensure that I receive from my tenants. And this is the yield that I need to earn on the back end. Now, where we are in London in the southeast, the yields haven't been so great over the last decade anyway, just simply because house prices are so high compared to the return on investment. So where we were earning between two and four percent on a yield, it might now be between one and two and a half percent. It still means we're making a profit because ultimately the tenant is paying the capital that we borrowed and we still remain a bit of we still have a bit of cash flow bit of bit of um bit of meat on the bone still remaining unfortunately what that means is that surplus might not be enough for us to scale that portfolio quicker than we first anticipated or what we've done in the last decade but we've now got to become more creative on how we now create more um income streams via property and i don't know all the answers but what i would say is you need to be amongst the right people that have seen different cycles and they've been there through the 80s, 90s, and also the 2008 crash to understand what did they do and how they came out of it on the other end because history always repeats itself. Mm -hmm. That's for a fact. When I bought my first property in 2005, I paid interest rates of about five and a quarter percent. So I've been there, done it. 
But since then, my interest rates have been going down and my mortgages still now start with a one or maybe early twos, which is which is great. But I know in 2025, 2026, I know I'm going to be seeing those five or six interest rates. So rather than me waiting till my mortgage comes up three months prior, I need to plan ahead. Yeah. And the way I do that is speaking to the right power team around me, understand different types of properties, understand cycles and different income streams that I can generate through that property itself. As I said, there's only about one and a half million mortgages coming up for renewal in the next 12 months. So it's not a massive, um, a massive shakeup in the market because everyone, most of the market is fixed for the next three or four years. But as I said earlier, we still need to plan for the future. We are having the conversations around, do we need to pay the early repayment charges now to fix onto the, uh, to get into a newer deal, which means that you're paying higher than expected. For some people, it's the right thing to do. For some people, it's not the right thing to do. And these are the open and frank conversations that we're having with our clients. And it's important because we're, we're, we're authorized by the FCA. We are advisors. So we have to do the best things and be transparent with our clients. And there's no point us, there's no point us, um, beating around the bush things are going to be great tomorrow don't worry yeah, it's, blah, the blah, worst. Blah. it's the worst thing when you hear that and we're not that. going to do that and yeah. we're in the business of being open and honest and that's how we build relationships and that's why we are fortunate to have a great following a great relationships with our clients because we've been open and honest with them and it helps we're ex-bankers most of us within the advisory business and we're all uh, buy to let landlords as well so we've got skin in the game it's not like we haven't got skin in the game so we understand different cycles um, so yeah, opening open and frank conversations with all our clients around interest rates, where markets going. It's painful to see. You know, we've seen the Mortgage Works, who are a prime buy to let lender, sister company of Nationwide, with interest rates starting with fives and sixes. What does that mean for the specialist and the secondary market? It means an extra one, two, or three percent higher. So you've got to be open and honest. These rates are not going to be coming down anytime soon. You've got the Bank of England. Um, committee meeting on November the 3rd, interest rates are going to be going up because inflation is going to remain high. The war is not ending anytime soon. The cost of living is not ending anytime soon and everything else in between all that. So you can bet your bottom dollar, we're still going to see two more rate increases. I actually predicted 1% last month, uh, sorry, 0.75. They only increased it by 0.5. I think they're going to remain a bit more bullish. Um, Governor Bailey has said by this Friday, the pension fund market need to stump up the cash because there's not going to be any further bailouts. If they don't do it on Friday, don't be surprised if you have another rate increase next week. Yeah. Um, so there's lots to be conscious of. There's lots to be frightened of. But I would say keep that open dialogue and plan for the future in advance. So do you think with uh, yesterday, there was announcements by HSBC and a few other lenders coming back into the Vitalet yeah. products um, coming to market. Do you think they've gone sort of 6 7% on the basis that there is going to be an increase next month. So they're planning ahead, or do you think there's going to be further increases over the next few weeks? That's a good question. So there's still some lenders still out of the fixed rate market because they're just can't, they're, they're too scared to come into the market or they're conscious of further rate increases in the near future. So what they don't want to do is offer a fixed rate product that somebody can't, they can't complete on because the mortgage is not going to complete overnight. It will take four, six, eight weeks. So they don't want to offer a deal that they can't um, deliver on, which is reputational, uh, reputation, the hindrance, you know, on their reputation. So some lenders are still out of the market. You've seen, as you said, rightly, HSBC Accord and many other lenders just come into the market this week or last week 
And we've had that explosive mini budget a few weeks ago, but they're coming back into the market now. So that shows that the volatility and the mindset is still unsure where the markets are going. So they've got to price in, they've got to price in how much they're going to borrow the funds at using the pension fund money and the, the money markets outside for them to come back in that market. Yes, they've got to look at their competitors and price competitively based on what the markets are doing. Um, it's a shame that they're so quite bullish with the interest rates and they've started with the sixes and these are high street prime lenders. So that goes to show that they're not confident in the UK housing market in the short term, um, albeit for the next two years, which I agree with that this is a two, two to three year problem. I think 26, 27, we'll see the markets correct and come down a tad. But you've got to look at the markets and what the pricing is. And unfortunately, for the next two years, it's not looking so great. So if you have got mortgages coming up in the next two years, unfortunately, it's not going to be a, uh, you know, an, 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 easy an, ride. an easy ride going forward. That's right. So I always look, like to look at opportunities yeah. and where an opportunity lies and which clients we should talk to and putting two and two together to try and get four. My place of opportunity, I think, in 2023 is with first time buyers and with new build developers. And I'll elaborate on that. I think a lot of first time buyers will be scared of the market, scared of buying their first property and living in it. And I think a lot of their parents will probably be advising them against it and just seeing what happens. Developers will be bricking it, excuse the pun. That was good, that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next year, because they will have seen their pipelines all exchange this side of the year as mm -hmm. people are trying to chase through those mortgage offers and get the, the rates secured. So everyone's going to get pre-Christmas exchanges done. And then the phase twos, threes, new developments are going to launch in January and they're not going to sell at the rate that they did before. And they are going to see that the prices that they put for um, market and achievable figures won't be achieved. As a result, they're going to panic a little bit and they're going to have to drop their prices. And they've got more than enough profit in those units to do that based on what we've seen over the last two years. Mm. So where I think the opportunity might lie for a first time buyer is to flip from being a first time buyer and take advantage of the stamp duty change mm -hmm. and buy a buy to let rather than buying a residential. Mm -hmm. And if you've got 60, 70 grand sat in your bank account that you were gonna use as a deposit, then if inflation's high, you're losing money on the cash. Mm -hmm. But even though the interest rates are high, you can squeeze the heck out of developers on those prices as a first time buyer, as an investor, pay the buy to let rate, save on the tax. You don't have to pay the 3% add on because it's your first purchase, get a tenant in there, make money on that rental and not sit for two years as a first time buyer worrying about the market and take advantage. And I think there's an opportunity there for a lot of first time buyers that are maybe bottling buying a residential to actually confidently go into the market as a first time buy to let and squeeze those developments, take advantage of the stamp duty saving mm. and bite the bullet on the rental. Because still, if you're paying five or 6% with the rents around here in the way they are, you will still make money on that. And if you want to do it interest only, you're definitely going to make, you know, monthly gains on it, mm -hmm. which will pay for your rental where you are or pay for, you know, the, the markup on cost of living. But I think there's a huge opportunity for first time buyers that are now panic and on stall mm -hmm. to actually press go and take advantage. And if I was a first time buyer, going back to when I purchased or when I got into the property game, 
what did we we're all similar age bracket here what do we think when we were kind of you know 19 20 oh, our parents had it easy you know they they were lucky they've seen these massive gains in the property market we're never going to see that again mm. well we did Mm-hmm. And maybe this is the opportunity for those first-time buyers out there to strike and and take advantage. And it, it, you won't be taught that in schools, but that mm-hmm. if I've got you know a 21, 23 year old son or daughter, that is what I'd be telling them to do right now. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And um, we we talked off off camera here about you know generating further income streams. How do we do it? What do we do? And you know, as parents, we're all parents here around the table. You know, it's. It's it's key as parents. We provide education to our cl- our clients, our t- our students, <laughs> our students. Oh our our children. children. We know how it goes uh, down in their house. Clients, teachers, and students. <laughs> our, our children are clients and also yeah, students. Yeah, they are. They were, we're the masters of our children. So you know what? It's unfortunate. You, you raised a great topic there. You know, our schooling system is flawed, and I still think you know, no one talks about profit and loss, balance sheets, VAT, tax. Um, and it's a shame. Hopefully that changes. I don't know. But yes, you are right. For those people that were sitting on the fence and parents had a load of cash, they wanted to get their parent, their children out of the house. They just newly married. They want to buy the first home. And they're now thinking, oh, interest rates have gone up. We've got a cushy home. Clothes are washed. Mum still irons the clothes. Food's made. Do I really want to buy that first home and have that responsibility? Maybe not. You're totally right, Ian, in terms of let's use that money towards a buy-to-let investment. It provides income, it provides another asset, and it's a safe bet. And you're totally right. You can get a buy-to-let mortgage as a first-time uh, buyer. You can not be a, don't need to be a homeowner to get a buy-to-let mortgage. So that's a great opportunity to create cash flow. You're right about the developer's perspective where new builds are always got a premium attached to it. They're usually overpriced because you're paying for the new build and all the white goods and all that sort of stuff. Will developers have to nudge their prices down? I think so, yes. I think during COVID, everyone was paying overs. And what I mean by overs, there were things flying off 10, 20, 30% over the odds because of it was a sell, it was a buyer, it was sorry, it was a seller's market, which meant the buyers will have to pay over because there was a lineup on buying units. You've seen that uh, firsthand. I think we've seen over the last 12 months and a slow correction, it's turned into a buyer's market rather than a seller's market. And I in, I, I predicted that 12 months ago, we're going to move into a buyer's market just simply because interest rates were nudging upwards. So you were going to see it turning into a buyer's market rather than a seller's market. So I still think there's still opportunity in the buy-to-let space. Buy-to-let is certainly not dead. It's just having a correction. Mm-hmm. The housing market in terms of sales and values of real estate is going to be nudged downwards. And I think for the right reasons, to be honest with you, it helps first timers buy their first home or their first buy to let investment. It also helps with um, churning off property sooner and quicker, because unfortunately, with interest rates growing and mortgage interest rates, I'm talking about even Bank of England interest rates, they're going to continue to grow. What that means, demand's going to slow down which means in essence the property house prices are going to come down now remember we've got to remember here this is not a banking crisis there's a lot of liquidity in the market so mortgages are here to stay for the foreseeable future which is good for you and i as business owners as homeowners and as landlords so in essence the markets are very very confident in terms of mortgage lending market is very very strong in that perspective what i would say is and i keep saying it again is remain transparent with your power team your your circle of friends around the advisory piece and don't just listen to your mate around the pub over a beer it's good 
it's a, as I said, it's a great market to be in. Tristan, you mentioned about lenders coming back into the space. It wasn't because mortgages are buy to let is dead, for example. It's just they want to see out the last couple of weeks and how this panned out and understanding what their peers are doing in the market as well. So with regards to first timers capitalizing on where to use that money and creating income streams, I, see, I think you'll see that more and more. Even though we're seeing a lot of people going back to office environments and rents increasing, particularly in and around the home counties and central London, that's just simply because people are going back to work. And we'll see that more and more grow into 2023. House prices, uh, sorry, the rentals going up for the simple reasons that demand is going to be a lot more higher in the rental space. And we've seen that as well, right? <clears throat> demand is still crazy busy at the moment. Yeah. And since sales have started to slow down, I've certainly seen an increase myself there. Our properties come into market, but they're still going just as quick, which is obviously positive signs for anyone looking to potentially get in and buying a buy to let. Well, the win, the win is that employment levels are phenomenal. Yeah, that's that's the last kind of that's the last thing that everyone's holding on to is the fact that employment levels are phenomenal. And that's why rental demand is still high. If that becomes a problem and if we start to see redundancies and we start to see you know, voids in the jobs, that's when the tenancies will dry up. That's when the rents will then start to fall. There's no reason why that will happen because we have a shortage and that's that's not about economics, that's about statistics. There's a shortage of people in that population yeah. to come into those kind of lower skilled roles, which means the demand is high, which means people have to pay. So salaries are, you know, salaries have climbed as well. I think, you know, we talk about inflation and obviously recently it's hit nine, 10, 12, whatever you want to look at percent, especially since the war. But if you look at in, um, wage increases for the last 24 months, they've been averaging three to 5% increase, you know, sort of month by month on 12 month rolling. So it's not like it's just jumped 10% on inflation and wages have done nothing. Mm -hmm. They're halfway there anyway. Mm -hmm. And we're only a, the war finishing away from that coming straight back to 5% anyway, because in reality, the war and the inflation levels are half of the reason why it's up at 10%. Yeah. If the war in Ukraine stops, it, it comes straight down to five and four, in my opinion. Um, the, the thing that I would like to talk about phrasing, you came on here before and you mentioned about correction and you said, look, there will be a correction and clearly you were right. If you're on social media and you're talking about what's going on, correction, crash, uh, politicians saying 10%, economic people saying 10%, newspapers saying 30%. Mm. Back in 2008, Nationwide in December reported that uh, 2008 reduction in prices from their mortgage standpoint was 15.8% mm. in 2008. And that was, a, that was a horrific moment. But it was only 15%. It wasn't right. 30%. So correction versus crash. Yeah everyone kind of uses it as a way of kind of saying something's going to happen. If you go on social media, some people will say crash and some people will kind of yeah. say correction. So let's just go around the room here with the four of us of actually what we think house prices will fall by or not as the case may be. Tristan might be overly confident and say, no, I still think there's a 1% rise. I don't know. But what do we think actually will happen um, next year based on everything that we've done? We've all been in the game for a long time. What do we think potentially will uh, will be the case next year? And Mike's just crossed his arms. So I'm going to start with him because yeah, he's, he's got defensive, he's got defensive <laughs> straight just on. Purely on the fact that he just <laughs> went like this. I was like, right, he's got something good for us. Well, <laughs> my opinion on this is based on the fact that we've potentially had a 
false gain of 20% on house prices in the last two years caused by, in Maine, the whole COVID thing, stamp duty holidays and help to buy, which is going as well. So all of these things have manifested to give us 20% on our house prices. So even if we see 15.8%, I'm still 4.2% up. Mm. So... I'm not gonna. Cr- I'm not gonna sit here crying if my house price goes down. But only if you owned that property prior. If absolutely, you bought in the middle, absolutely. If you yeah, bought six yeah, months ago, yeah. they're the people that have probably lost fifteen percent. At that you, point, you, you have to sit. You, it's quite simple. You have to sit tight. Yeah, we've we've seen it before. Um, like we say, two thousand eight was a prime example where people, and even two thousand and fifteen, people were buying houses way way over market value, and it took an absolute tumble in a month. Now, I think house prices have probably had five percent plus wiped off them already overnight, thanks to the explosive budget, yeah, um, and various other things that have gone on. I think it's it's very very possible we see another ten percent. 10% drop. Okay. Tristan, what I got think, for us? I think it's going to be more than that. I'm, I'm going to think in the region of sort of 15 to 20%, uh, because like Mike said, it's it's already up around 20% from the COVID situation, demand and whatnot. I've started to see it slow down from a sales point of view, but as we said on the letting side, from an, from an investment point of view, it's, it's great. Rents are, are very high, demand's there, and as it stands today, employment levels are good like you said so i don't predict that but if that tumbles i think i think we're looking about 20 percent. so 10 percent, 20 percent. well i'm saying we've already lost five and we can potentially we can afford to lose another 10 so we're saying 15 so you're at 15 20 okay so this is, this is worse than my tiktok this is worse <laughs> yeah um i'm going to give more of a government type of speculation on this side and a bit of a which government of, well i'm always a blue buddy i'm always a blue, <laughs> I'm always a blue. um okay so Okay, I think we should break it down in terms of geographically. We can't, I don't think we can say wholeheartedly yeah. house market's going to crash 15, 20, 30, 50% throughout the UK. I think we're going to look at it regionally. London and the home counties will always take the first knock because it is the capital of the United Kingdom. It'll always take the first knock, but it'll always take the first growth yeah. in the country as well. So we've got to bear in mind that COVID came, everyone left in London rents they went home they went to the home counties they went to more greener more rural areas for that reason so i think i think if we look at if we put our regional hat on i think yes we're going to see a price correction not a crash um but i still think we're still going to be up prior to covid in terms of real gains in values i think as mike said and we've all alluded to during the last two years it has been a seller's market where everyone's paying 20 30 percent overs we will see that come back a tad in prime London in the home counties. I think further up north where property prices have just spiked because the yields are great for the buy-to-let spaces, Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, parts of, parts of Leeds and all that sort of stuff. I think they will see a more of a bigger correction just simply because the demand's not going to be so huge and it's already seen the peaks of it. So there's not much future growth to happen there. I think the other play is the US dollar is getting stronger and stronger. It is the central currency of the world. Most people trade in US dollars and hold US dollars. And what that means, it doesn't mean anything to us because, listen, we eat, sleep, and it's our family. This is our home, United Kingdom. But what that means for the housing market is people to buy UK housing, prime central London, high net worth properties, 
they're buying it 30, 40% cheaper already. So it's a win-win just simply because of pounds tanking and the US dollar is getting stronger. So depending on what hat you wear, where you are in the country, and, the, and when you bought that property, if you bought it six months ago, yes, you're gonna take a hit. If you bought the property 10 years ago, well, you're not going to take a hit because the price has grown substantially. So geographically, it depends where you are, when you bought as well, matters as well. But yes, I see a correction. I know it's a long question, a long answer, I should say. But I think we'll still see, I still confidently we'll see double digit price growth across the country uh, for 2023. So what's so, your number? So 10% growth, 2023. Compared to? Um, so it will continue to grow. We will see a continued growth um, for housing in the UK, 99 or 10% growth. So I'm staying as we are. I don't think we'll have a housing price crash just simply because this interest rate spike is here temporary. Mm -hmm. Once we see the war evaporate, once we see cost of living prices come down and it levels off, you'll see interest rates come down as well. But it is, as I said, it's a 24, 36 month play. But I still think because of supply is very, very short, demand is still very high, unemployment is still very low, mortgage market is still very buoyant. There's still a lot of play in that space from an investment yield cycle. So I still am confident that the UK market will still grow in terms of value. We will see a slow um, uh, purchase uptake uh, because people will be a bit more conscious. Do I need to move from a three bed to a five bed house? Do I need to, can I extend the back on the sides? So will take a view on that sort of stuff. So I'm still confident in the UK housing market. I still think there is, we're still, we're not gonna see 10, 20, 30% growth. I think we'll see nine, 10% growth to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah, that's for mine. Go on buddy. <laughs> I mean, I think there's two things that people um, underestimate that probably just, you know, sort of average man on the street won't think about, but we've seen it start in the last five or six years. And I think it'll be quite dominant over the next five or six years is you mentioned the dollar US mark. Obviously we've had Russians come in to London and buy up everything in the major estates. They've obviously fallen away from the market now for obvious reasons, but the US is there. You know, if you talk to any of the London prime agents, US is is investing in London. Mm -hmm. It's it's flagship. You know they're buying assets there, and also from an Asian perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Asian markets and Asian investors are coming in, and they have done for for many many years. And they're now seeing it as London fell before any of the COVID scenario. The London market broke. It was a bubble. It was a false economy, and the London property market broke before anywhere else. And rentals dropped, and new builds dropped, and then this came in and almost saved London's bacon so to speak so london is is in a place of still looking quite appealing from mm -hmm. out of country so you've got those those investors coming in and you've also got um build to rent and build to rent at whatever level that you talk about from a finance perspective is still way more appealing than the stock market at the moment and it will get bigger and bigger and bigger and unfortunately first-time buyers are worried about you and me and mike and tristan as landlords owning two or three properties we are not a first-time buyer's threat. It is the investors that are buying the blocks of new build and removing the opportunity to get on the ladder. Mm -hmm. That is their threat for the next couple of years. But from a housing market point of view, it will stabilize it because you won't get the problem you get when there is a correction or a crash, which is new build developers throwing out hordes of small properties at unbelievable prices and setting the tone. And we spoke about it before. 
everyone sees a new build and they go, Jesus, have you seen the prices that those have gone on the market for when it's high? And all the neighbors go, well, if theirs is worth X, mine is worth Y. And they set the tone of the price, but they also bring the tone back because they can afford on the margins, you know, on a 500 grand townhouse, it costs them 90 grand to build. They've got a hell of a lot more play than most of the the other people in the in the estate. So if they don't flood the market with those because investors are buying, that that will help the market. So like Mike says, I think by December, what we will see on a 12-month rolling December to December, in January, I said I think that we'll see price increases this year of about 8%, 6 to 8%. I think it will end up being around 5 or 6% this year. And at one point, it was 12 which probably means that we're going to see 6% come off the height of the prices between, let's call it August and December, half second half, I think mm-hmm. we'll have seen 6% drop. And then next year, I think it'll be 6 or 7% further. So overall, I'm thinking 12% and no more. And I'm being a bit pessimistic there as well, just because I'm on the fence um, with what might happen. But that would be my view. And I think <clears throat> employment, label, uh, employment levels stabilise us. We're one good budget away from confidence and we're the war finishing away from confidence in the markets. And those three things go in our favour that mm. are effectively going against us at the moment. So, yeah, I think there's a few intelligent things just to pick out from what Akil said as well is, you can't generalise for the entire UK. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can pull a stat out that covers the entire UK, but some places will outperform others. And you can't generalise for different parts of the market what a three-bed semi in a popular town next to a school sells for mm. is very different to what a three million pound farmhouse ten miles from from anywhere sells for. So my opinion is is like yours is. I see anywhere that's gone up faster in the last three years because of a bubble will probably come down faster than other places that were reasonably sort of almost controlled growth. So the regions where people just went crazy because it was cheap or the reasons where people went crazy because they suddenly wanted to move there on a whim, well, that was a bubble. Yeah, I'm afraid everyone could see it coming. Everyone could see it was a bubble. Everyone could see the craziness. Well, that bubble is going to pop, in my opinion. And you have to always remember, you know, everyone thinks the house is worth X, right? But the real value is only achieved when it's sold. Yeah. Yeah. So if we put something on the market for 500,000, it's only worth 500 if somebody buys it for 500. And we've just got to be conscious that, yes, everyone wants top dollar when you're selling it. But when you're buying it, you want to buy it for the least amount of dollars. So you've just got to be, or pounds, I should say, in our currency. Um, so you've just got to be mindful of the type of market that we're entering, whether you're buying or selling, and who the end user is going to be. And if you don't have that in mind, you're going to, you know, you're going to fail at the end of the day. And it's right, you know, as I said, you know, speak to the team. So if I'm going to buy and sell a property, I'll be speaking to you guys because you're closer than I am into that space. If it's finance, I would like to think I'm more closer to it. So you've just got to be mindful that, yes, we're going through turbulence time turbulent times but it's only going to be here for the very short term and short term meaning not two days or two months it's two years i think and then you'll see things change and as you said ian as well and everyone has alluded to around the table you know we're confident in our market um yes it's turbulent time for the next two years i believe i think we're going to turn that corner very very quickly for those positive reasons that came out of our our open and honest conversation here but We've got to be open and honest with ourselves as investors, as homeowners, that, 
yes, we're going to have to pay a bit over the odds, but it's not a bad thing because we've had a quite a cushy ride for the last 10, 12 years where we've all paid one, two percent interest rates, which has been phenomenal. And some people are still paying one, two percent for the next two or three years. So they've got nothing to worry about um, for that time frame. Um, so, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm optimistic, um, but I still think we've got to be real with ourselves um, because it's not always going to be hunky dory. It's never going to be. It's not always going to be um, fun times. You've just got to be conscious that we're in business. Business means ups and downs. The, the amount of business that you wrote yesterday might not be the same as tomorrow. So you've got to be conscious of how do you keep up with those numbers? What can you do differently? The world is evolving, yeah. you know, and you can never know everything. And I always say that, you know, I'm a big believer of um, surrounding yourself with the right people, networking in the right spaces. Um, as business owners, we're marketers first. We're not salespeople. We're going to market ourselves, but we've got to add value to those people that are around us. And I don't like to be sold to, therefore I don't like to sell myself. So what I like to do is add value to people. And the best way of doing that is through open and honest conversations. I don't yeah. know, what's your thoughts on that, boys? Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. And I think the one thing, because this is a show and it is a podcast for property investors and people that want to put money into assets to make money, I think the key thing to remember is there's a lot of people at a high level, shrewd people with good money that are licking their lips because they know this is the time. I was quite young when the eight, uh, 2008 crash, I bought my first property in 2007. The most money that I've made in property was between 2008 and 2012. Yeah, Four or five property purchases flipped, you know, but they were all flipped. I didn't live in um, any of those properties. Mm -hmm. But that's when I made the most money I have done, including the last five years in, in property gains. So I was kicking myself thinking I wasn't cash rich at that time and in a position to take advantage of that market properly. So I had to do it the hard way, mm -hmm. tiling and painting and doing that stuff. Now, people that are kind of, you know, in a situation where they're looking at thinking, right, there's a problem. This market is making a market for people to take advantage of. So if you want to, have a conversation with any of us. Let's look at individual circumstances. Yeah. How do you make money out of this market? Because if you don't, someone else is. And, and I think that's probably the best way to sort of summarize the episode that we just spoke about, really.